Welcome to the British Sports Car Podcast. Join me, Sarah, and Nick, our resident sports car expert, as we bring you all the latest news from the top tiers of British motorsport, including British GT, GT Cup and Brick Car, as well as British motorsport interests from around the world. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the British Sports Car Podcast. I am not your host, Sarah Smith. I am Nick, um, the resident British sports car expert. Virtually next to me down the Zoom line is Sarah. Say hello. Hello. I figured I'd give Nick the hard job this time. Yeah, I've, I've been having to do brain work. It's not good. Um, but to minimise the amount of thinking that I have to do, I'm just going to welcome everybody to the show. Thank you for listening. While you're listening, if you like us, subscribe on your, your favourite podcasting platform or follow us on our social media channels at Brit SC Podcast. Okay, straight into it. And as Sarah's given me the reins, I'm going straight to international news. And now, international news. So, as has become our pattern, uh, we're going to start off our look at international news with the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship and the Hyundai Monterey Sports Car Championship presented by Motul at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. How many references to WeatherTech and sports cars can we fit into one sentence? This one's going to be fairly brief, actually, because it wasn't all the classes running. There was no LMP3 at the weekend just gone when IMSA rocked up at um, WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca um, for a two-hour and 40-minute race, the first normal-length race of the IMSA calendar. And I think calling it a normal-length race when you're at round five before you're finally doing one is probably um, probably stretching the bounds of it. But as we have done, we'll go through the classes. I'll look at uh, drivers who have got some form of British interest. And as we have done before, we'll go through all the top class because we may as well include the two that don't. So the race was won overall by Ricky Taylor and Felipe Albuquerque. They were driving the Konica Minolta Acura ARX 05 Acura DPI. Uh, the number 10 car. They finished ahead of the only other accurate in the field, Oliver Jarvis and Tom Blomqvist, in the Mayer Shank Racing with Curb Agajanian Acura ARX 05 DPI. That's the number 60 car. Pipo Durrani and Tristan Nunes for Whelan Engineering Racing in the Cadillac VR DPI 01 VR DP. The, the name goes on and on. Um... They finished third, the number 31 car, ahead of Tristan Vautier and Richard Westbrook for JDC Miller Motorsports. Earl Bamba and Alex Lynn in the number 02 Cadillac Racing by Chip Ganassi, Cadillac DPI, finished ahead of teammates Renga van der Zander and Sebastian Bordet. Again, Cadillac Racing by Chip Ganassi in a Cadillac DPI, the number 01 car. So that was the DPI class. LMP2, we had six runners in LMP2. Um, now, I don't have the first names of all the drivers here, so I'm just going to give surnames because I've not had a massive amount of time to prepare this, I will be honest. Um, the number eight car, all of the cars entered were Orica LMP207s. 
Um, obviously, all but all but two cars were run by different teams. There was one two-car team in the class. Ferrano and Delatraz for Tower Motorsports won the class, finished first. They were 23 seconds clear of their, their nearest rival. Um, for reference, the top three in DPI were covered by 26 seconds. So um, quite a dominant win in LMP2 ahead of Dwight Merriman and Ryan DL. I know I said I wasn't going to do first names, but I know them too. For Era Motorsport. Hedman and Montoya for Dragon Speed USA. Yes, that is the uh, former Formula One driver, Juan Pablo Montoya, uh, for Dragon Speed. Ahead of Pearson and Kelly, the first of two PR Matheson Motorsports cars. That's number 52. The 11 of uh, Thomas and Bomarito uh, finished ahead of uh, Anderson and Fjordback for high class racing. Now, I'm not going to go through every car in the remaining classes. I'm just going to focus on the winners and the, the drivers that have British interest. In GTD Pro, it was FAF Motorsports, the guys at One Daytona, that claimed their second win of the season. Matthew Campbell and uh, Matthew Jaminet uh, in the number nine Porsche 911 GT3R finished ahead of the Vassa Sullivan Run Lexus RCF GT3 for British drivers Jack Horsworth and Ben Barnicote. Um, only other British interest in the class finished fifth. That was Heart of Racing, Ross Gunn uh, and uh, Mr. Rebaris for Heart of Racing in the Aston Martin Vantage GT3. Third in class went to BMW M Team RLL, best place of the BMW M4s. So in GTD, this is the non-pro class, the old GTD class. Um, not much in the way of British interest. The winners were Hardwick and Halen for Wright Motorsports in the Porsche 911 GT3R, apparently having the engine hanging out the back end works at Laguna Seca, uh, finishing ahead of Carbon with Penguin Racing's Lamborghini, and then the best of the uh, amateur class BMWs was the Turner Motorsport car of Foley and Oberlin in third. Best of British or British Limit was the number 27 car. Finished in seventh place, overall, seventh place overall. My lisp is coming back in. I must be getting tired. Um, Remedy Angelis and Maxime Martin for Heart of Racing. Heart of Racing, of course, means Aston Martin Vantage GT3. Maxime Montaigne, of course, means Aston Martin Vantage GT3. Uh, in 10th place, the number 99 car, Team Hard Points Porsche 911, of uh, Ferroli and Leg. Leg, of course, being the British uh, Catherine Leg. And then 13th place in GTD, the number 70 car, Inception Racing's McLaren 720S GT3 of Uribe and Chantolf, uh is the last of the British interest in the Insul of the Tech Sports Car Championships, Hyundai Monterey Sports Car Championship presented by No Tool. What a mouthful. One of the peculiarities of the IMSA point scoring system, uh, I mean, this is to European eyes, where we tend to, in Europe, we tend to work on the FIA point system, the 25 for a win, 18 for a second etc etc and then in British GT this weekend coming up 
will will go for points and a half because it's a longer race. Okay, other championships will award the same number of points but multiple times during a race when it's a longer race. But in America, they do like a good high points total. So, for example, when Acura uh, qualified for the opening round of the championship, they took 35 points for qualifying and then 350 points for their performance during the race. Uh, now, these are season-long points totals to us, and they get them in one race. Um, but I do find it absolutely amazing that this far into the championship, we've had Daytona, Sebring, Long Beach, and now um, and now Laguna Seca. We have two manufacturers, uh, Acura and Cadillac. Acura have managed to amass 1,470 points. Cadillac have managed to amass 1,472 points. So by virtue of claiming the bigger win uh, at Daytona, uh, Acura are showing as leading the championship, but in these completely bonkers point scoring systems where you get many hundreds of points for a win and you get 35 points for pole, etc, etc, the two manufacturers were identical points tallies at this global championship. That, that's quite interesting to me. But next up in international news, a um, bit of a cheeky one from me, because by selecting the Fanatec GT World Challenge Europe Sprint Cup powered by AWS, again, nice with the catchy names, um, I've managed to sneak in two races for the price of one, so Sarah doesn't notice I'm covering three races rather than two. Judging by the eyes, she realises. A um, couple of reasons to bring this one in, uh, not only because I get to sneak in an extra race. You make it sound like I'm such a hard taskmaster. You are. There's <laughs> <laughs> uh, so a couple of reasons to bring this in. One, there's a fair bit of British interest in it in terms of drivers and in terms of the fact that the series is run by the SRO, the same people that run British GT. And also the race this past weekend was held in dear old Blighty, in fact on the hallowed tarmac that is the Grands Hatch Grand Prix circuit. So two races took place over the weekend for the GT World Challenge Europe Sprint Cup powered by AWS. I'm just going to call it GT World Challenge from now on. Um, and in race one, two hour long races, the first one won by a silver cup entry, actually. It wasn't won by um, one of the Pro Cup cars. This is Ulysse de Pau and Pierre Alexandre Jean uh, for AF Corsa in a Ferrari 488 GT3. Um, not by the world's largest margin, it's less than a second, uh, less than two seconds at the line. My apologies, um, but the number fifty-three silver cup entered Ferrari, beat out a number of Pro Cup entries to take the top spot in the race overall. Winner in Pro Cup was the number thirty-two car. This is Charles Verts and Dries Van Dor in Team WRT's Audi R8 LMS Evo Two GT3. Okay, third place in Pro Cup. No British interest in there, but it was an Acodis ASP team, Mercedes AMG. Um, this is relevant because it was also the third place car in Pro Cup, fourth place car overall 
the number 88 Akodis ASP team. This one for Jim Pla and Jules Gounon, who of course is now racing with us in British GT. Again, Mercedes AMG GT with Akodis from Morocco ASP, you'd expect nothing less. Um, second in Silver Cup, uh, finished in eighth place. So the advantage for the winning car was pretty good in their class as well. Uh, you're going to hear paper turning here because this doesn't print out on a single sheet. Um, next British interest is Pro Cup entry. This is the number 38. Anybody that follows international motorsport will know the mighty 38 is Jota, wherever they race. Uh, so Jota, British team with the McLaren 720S GT3, um, finishing 33 seconds off the overall lead. Oliver, Oliver Wilkinson and Rob Bell sharing the driving in that car. Finishing ahead of the number 46 Team WRT Audi R8 LMS Evo 2 GT3 of Frederick Vervich and his co-driver. Later on, we'll get on to why I'm not saying any more than that. In 17th place is now a British GT relevant car. Um, this is the number 93 Sky Tempesta Racing Mercedes AMG GC3. Eddie Cheever sharing the driving with Chris Froggart. About just under a minute and 10 seconds off the, the leading pace at the end of the race in 17th place. Uh, obviously contesting Silver Cup. Uh, 19th place overall, Garage 59. They have relevance because they're coming to play with British GT uh, for selected rounds this year. Uh, Miguel Ramos and Dean McDonald sharing the driving there as well. So a little bit more British relevance there for you as well. And the final bit of uh, British note here is in the not classified cars. The number 30 Team WRT Audi R8 LMS Evo 2 GT3. This is the Rothko sponsored car. Being Rothko, you would expect nothing less than a Goethe at the world. Benjamin Goethe, the British interest there sharing with Thomas Neubauer. And unfortunately, they didn't make the finish. Leads us on to the second race. And the format for a... a I nearly referred to it as a blanc pan there. <laughs> but a format for a GT World Challenge weekend in the sprint cup is the same as a British GT sprint weekend like we had at Alton Park, in that they'll have two races, uh, hour-long races in one day. This time, British interest got a little bit further up the list. It was the number 89 car, Mercedes-AMG GT3 of Akodis ASP, which claimed the, the race win. Uh, this was Timur Bugulaski and Raffaele Marciello. I apologise to Timur for butchering your name, um, but Sarah is our relative... Uh, our, our resident um, pronunciation department and unless I hold it up to the screen she can't see it um, okay if you hold it still I can have a bit more of a look I would say that's probably Tuma Bogoslavsky I didn't on my second attempt I didn't butcher it too badly <laughs> um, but they took the win for Akodis ASP ahead of the number 32, the car which won the first race, uh, sorry, which won Pro 
Cup in the first race, came second in the, in the first race. Uh, but um, Van Tors, Audi from Team WRT. Third place, Jules Gunon and Jim Pla in the other Akodis car. Uh, running further down, first... Uh, the next thing I've underlined on this entry list is the one whose name I'm not going to mention. So we'll say Frederick Vervich and his teammate. Uh, in 10th place, which was 8th in the Pro Cup, uh, Oliver Wilkinson and Rob Bells, Joe Tavrum, McLaren. Um, flipping over the page. And then we've got the Garage 59 entered 159 car. Silver Cup for Ethan Simone and Vargas Manuel Manuelonado. Obviously, Garage 59 will be running a McLaren. And then 16th place overall is Benjamin Goethe and Thomas Neubauer's Team WRT Audi, the number 30 car running in the Silver Cup. 20th place, 93 car, Sky Tempestra Racing, Eddie Cheever and Chris Froggart. And then Miguel Ramos and Dean McDonald finished in 22nd overall in the second Garage 59 car, the number 188. No other British interest there. It's just worthwhile noting that of the 25 cars entered, all but one made the finish. And they were now on the first lap. How's that for keeping my international news brief? It's not bad, but I'm still confused as to why you're not mentioning names. Because I'm... Okay, Sarah obviously didn't realise when I was standing there screaming at the telly when we were watching GT Cup at her house over the weekend. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 I'm there. There is a certain man who yep. used, who used to used to race with slightly fewer wheels than he does yep. now. Yeah, I'm there. Don't worry. Who everybody who went and if everybody was in a hundred miles of Kent last weekend, all drooling all over. Apparently. And yes, I appreciate it. it. Is great that Valentino Rossi has chosen to continue his racing career by racing in GTs, and I appreciate it's good news for SRO that he's decided to race in an SRO championship. But I personally think it's a slap in the face to everybody else that raced in the championship if all you do is mention it. Yeah, we we had a bit of a a chat about that. Um, It's not the first time we've had that kind of conversation because when uh, Jensen Button last year... Was it last year or 2020? It was 2020 Silverstone Showdown. Right. Dates slept. Pandemic... Mm years um also i was busy posting pictures of you talking onto the facebook page of the podcast (laughs) oh god what's she saying about me (laughs) but yeah um there were a couple of comments that i caught uh because as you may have gathered nick and i managed to actually be in the same place at the same time whilst gt cup was happening to watch a bit of it um admittedly uh I was making dinner and Nick was being all manly and putting uh, my TV together for me. (laughs) Not that I can't do it myself, just we split our division of labour. 
Um, but yeah, we we watched most of one of the races, and there are a few comments about how so many people have turned out to to watch Valentino Rossi. And I used to watch him bike, but the safer I don't think everyone that was there was purely there just to watch him. And there's plenty of other people that would have gained their own followings. It's it's a problem that's infecting all of motorsport because it's the same. It's not just motorsport, though. It it is a cultural shift where so and I use the word but celebrities, whether they're you know elite sports people, cultural phenomenons, you know people that are very very talented, turn up and do something a bit different, and it gets absolutely lauded as being this absolutely amazing thing and don't get me wrong yeah it's really cool but it does take away a little bit from the people whose livelihoods it is it it is becoming more prevalent across all sports and British GT benefited from it as well when we had Sir Chris Hoy come and race with us and I was always very careful when I was covering that season to mention him, but only when there was something worth mentioning. And not to hide away from the fact that we had successfully waiting in the championship, but to give equal coverage to him, not too much. In IndyCar, now IndyCar is quite a big open wheel series in the States. In fact, it's the biggest open wheel series in the States. And in terms of viewership, it's bigger than Formula One in the States, um, or was until recent years. Jimmy Johnson, the nine times NASCAR Cup champion, or seven time NASCAR Cup champion, I can't remember how many times he's won it, um, started racing in IndyCar last year. He's, he's hung up his NASCAR helmet in his competition open wheel. And... It's an absolute Jimmy Johnson love fest every time you turn on NASCAR coverage these days. He's running around at the back doing absolutely nothing, getting out of everybody's way whenever they come past, and he's still getting more coverage than the leaders. And this is what I see happening with Valentino Rossi. And I say it's really unfair to the guys that have earned their way into that championship that are developing their careers or the gentleman drivers that are paying for it rather than turning up with shepherds of cash that sponsors are provided because you're Valentino Rossi. But I think I'm going off a little bit on one here, aren't I? You are a little bit, but I think it is something that's worth saying. But also, conversely, I don't think it necessarily helps by you then turning it round to say, you know, he shall not be named. No, I did that specifically to make the point that you can cover that event without mentioning Valentino. Because he finished mid-pack in both races. And in terms of the angle that we're covering that event from, how did British teams and drivers do, he's irrelevant to it. We could have had Lewis Hamilton. I say not Lewis Hamilton. We could have had Sebastian Vettel running at the front of the race and it would have no bearing on the way that we covered it because he is not relevant to the angle we're covering it from. Yeah, I absolutely get that, but I think it it's a balance and I think it's important that that balance is kept and, you know, a high-profile name is going to bring 
additional attention to a sport. So I don't think there's any harm in mentioning it, but it's how much it's mentioned. Yeah, and I do apologise for saying this because Mark Wirral, the commentator that was covering GT Cup uh, for the live stream, is a personal friend of mine, but he fell into the trap as well because there was absolutely no reason that people watching the GT Cup live stream had to be informed twice in five minutes that Valentino Rossi was racing in racing in a different series that wasn't being included in that live stream. But we found out. Yeah. And, you know, as you've just seen, I'd completely forgotten. Uh, but I was slightly distracted posting pictures of you trying to pronounce things. <laughs> Don't do that. I look even more confused than usual. <laughs> <laughs> British GT News. So when it comes to British GT News, we have uh, a bit of it, as you would expect with it being the Silverstone 500 coming up this weekend. Uh, We would expect there to be some one-off entries being announced, and there have been. So we'll start off with the first one, um, which was an announcement for Optimum Motorsport which is a name that we probably expected to to see as they've done a few one-offs and have always uh, been keen to do the bigger races of the series. Mm-hmm. Now, I think Nick was probably expecting names that were mentioned a few times on the podcast last episode to be announced, but no, not this time. Yeah, I, w- I would have figured the Inception car for being the one that was... Uh... That, 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 that was uh, called out. But the two names we've got, I mean, you've, you've teased and teased and teased and not pulled the blaster off it. Well, no, uh, I was leaving that one to you. Yeah. But well, I was that, also expecting you to pick up on the Inception car a lot quicker. Well, we've already spoken about in this episode. I know, hence. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, they have been mentioned in this episode. <laughs> yeah, but they were mentioned a lot in last episode. They were. Because they went and did every blooming they, race they, going, they I think. Every, everything that wasn't <laughs> in the UK, yeah. <laughs> so, yes, we're talking uh, McLaren factory driver Joe Osborne here is the one that Simon was saying we've expected to see. And, yes, I did expect to see him doing a full season this year, actually. I was kind of hoping for. Joined by Nick Moss, which is a name that's not known to many people. He's been started his career in brick car for a few years back. He's been racing in Europe in GT Open. Uh, GT Open is to GT World Challenges. GT Cup is to brick car. It's like the last stage before you go on to the, onto the big leagues. Uh, for one of that way of putting it. Um, Nick's never driven in the championship before. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he does. Uh, an optimum run McLaren at Silverstone 500. It's, See, I was kind it. of expecting two. Okay, was the because other one it's not black the with first, red stripes? Because it's not <laughs> the first time that that's happened and mm. the Inception car has partnered mm. um, another car, which generally has had Joe Osborne in it. 
mm-hmm. at least in the last couple of years. Um, so I was kind of expecting two, but I'm happy with one. So that was the first slight spanner in the works. Now I am just looking for the message that I sent Nick about the next spanner in the works because this really was a bit of a cat amongst the pigeon moment. Uh, but yeah, I, I was up and about to see this bit of news break and my brain went, eh? So I sent Nick the following message. Johnny Adam, Flick Hay. Two C's. Silverstone. Merc? So that basically sums that up very nicely. Um, Yeah, I think I responded quite politely to that one. (laughs) Given that what I was thinking would result in an explicit rating for this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um... I'm going to say, given the lack of teams running GT3 Aston Martins in British GT at the moment, it'd be very difficult for them to find uh, an Aston Martin to run it. Very surprised that Johnny's driving a Mercedes. Um, but it's great to get these two back together because they had a great year when they took the championship. Um, I know it's a one-off, but I would not be surprised if this was, wasn't standing on the top of the podium. Um, it's not a one-off. No, they're doing three races. A partial entry. Yeah. So, Johnny's been given permission to go and compete in something that isn't an Aston Martin. Mm. Um, they are going to be doing three races, I believe. Silverstone, Snet and Brands, yeah. That's a strange I mean we don't know what discussions were had, we don't know what flicks availability is or anything like that. But if I was if I was structuring this I'd go Silverstone Silverstone brands and Dungeon Decider. Yeah, but I think it's probably yeah. down to availability because obviously Johnny's yeah. racing elsewhere, don't forget. Yep. Um and as you yeah. say, we don't know Flick's availability either. And as for the um, getting permission, Johnny getting permission, because he is still on Aston Martin payroll, um, to me, that would be a no-brainer. The Mercedes on the current tyre is the car to have, and then the experience your driver's going to have of how it does it. We've got to be helpful when you get back in Aston Martin, isn't it? I mean, it's it's certainly one of the two cars because the Audi. Well, that being said, the Audi seems to be a little bit of a marmite with the new tyres, doesn't it? Because it seems to respond really, really, really well, or not for a bit. Mm. Yeah, um, there was a lot of talk while we were at Alton Park of the balance of performance being set up to favour the Audis purely because of the payments that we were talking about during GT or Challenge. Um, which I don't believe a lot of. Um, well, it also defies the whole point of EOP. So mm. I would possibly table that discussion for when we're not talking about the news. Mm. Yeah. But 
to say, delighted to have these guys back. Um, and it'll be in, say, interesting to see them in something which doesn't have wings on the front of it. The other big shocker with this, I and mean, we've already said Johnny Adam not in an Aston Martin, is a shock, but it's not clear from that quite how much of a shock it is. Johnny Adam, by the end of this year, will be one start short of a century. He currently has 96 starts, and he's doing three more. Sunday will be his first race start in something which hasn't got a set of Aston Martin on All 96 was previous entries, where the advantages of DDRs and things And that's interesting and slightly sad as well, isn't it? It is, but he's not the only long-term Aston Martin driver who is going to be appearing in something else this weekend. No, he's not the only Dream Team driver that's going to be appearing in something no. else this weekend either, is he? Um, um, Andrew Howard um, has been in an Aston Martin since 2007. But this weekend he won't be. Um, now, Andrew Howard is off racing in Europe this season concentrating on that but um he will be back for silverstone and he'll be racing with martin plowman over at paddock yeah and he's doing what everybody else is doing in gt3 which is flogging their slaster martins and buying mclarens <laughs> <laughs> no he's not I, and please pro drive gaden don't send the heads out for me <laughs> um i understand that Mr. Fletcher is soon to be Daddy Fletcher. Very um, imminently, and Daddy to twins. Yes, um, it, it's a brave man that potentially goes and plays race car while his while, while his fine lady is delivering twins. <laughs> um, it's a good way to guarantee the line doesn't get any further extended anyway, isn't it? <laughs> so yeah, uh, Paddock asked Andrew if he would mind stepping in um, for Kelvin while he attends to family matters um and andrew basically said yeah absolutely i can't really say no to that um obviously he's got a really good relationship with with kelvin and martin um with them both having raced with beach dean previously and he's looking forward to trying a car that's going to be completely new you know i hadn't spotted that little change in dynamic that Martin's former team boss is now being team bossed by Martin. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't quite <laughs> spotted that one. <laughs> uh, but, um, yes, it's um, it's going to be surprising. And when I see Andrew Howard on the timing screen this weekend and I don't see an Aston Martin drive past, I'm going to look cross Oh, don't even get me started on that because I'm just about, like, last series, mm. last season, we had a whole bunch of people in different classes. Mm. I just got my head around that last race. So looking for people and not automatically going, okay, so they're in this car, in this class. And now everyone's in different teams and different cars for this race. Mm. So it's not even a case of, you know, oh, right, okay. He always drives that. That's fine. 
I recognize that. Now it's going to be... Uh... <laughs> okay, at least Andrew Howard has got the decency to not leak his car number with it. Jamie Caroline and uh, <laughs> John Ferguson have got a lot to answer for there. It's approximately the same shape. It's the same number. It's the same driver lineup. It's just a different team badge on the front. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. it's a different colour. <laughs> that's that's kind of what I mean as well. Um, and same with Fox. <laughs> They've kept the number. But they have changed the livery a bit, so that was slightly easier to spot. But let's get back to the news. So shall we do the other race by race first? Yes. Seeing as we have been talking about the lack of Aston Martins, whilst we seem to not have many in GT3, we've at least gained one for Silverstone in GT4. Which is very uh, very welcome because we're, we're, we are very long, very thin on the ground even there, aren't we? Is it just Scully? We've got or? two. No, it's Scully and it's uh, the, the um, our racing car, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Um, so it brings us up to three, which is... Acceptable for Nick. About 15% of our peak Aston Martin, I think, when we had most of the top class was Aston Martins and pretty much all of the GT4 class was Aston Martins as yep. well. But as we've discussed previously, that shifted. Yes. We're now McLaren heavy. This is, I say, this is obviously Central Motorsport bringing back the Aston Martin that race at Duncan Park, aren't they? Yes. Um, which I can't remember whether you've said or not. I um, That's fine. And returning drivers, uh, returning victorious Silverstone 500 drivers as well, in David Holloway and Bradley Ellis. Um, now, they they took the GT4 class win when they were racing in GT4 back in 2014. Um, and yes, I did just read that off the press release rather than remembering that they finished in that location in one specific race eight years ago. <laughs> um, it's, it's great to see the car back. Hopefully, it's a precursor to something a little more. Um, but I mean, Sentry are quite bit, were quite busy at Alton Park. Um, so hopefully, it's not a distraction running the fourth car. And the other car that has been announced. Um, now reading this, when I've read through it, my re- understanding is that they are still as a full entry on there because we were missing a car um, at Alton Park which was the Motus 1 McLaren um, now they did appear on the full season entry list um, now the press release does say that we now have different drivers um, so I'm taking that as it's still on the full entry list just the drivers have changed and the way that it's worded uh, will prevent the team's previous list of drivers from racing at Silverstone Suggest to me we are still getting Stuart and... Yeah. Oh, uh, name's just completely escaped me. 
Who was the other confirmed driver in that car? I don't know off the top of my head, but that's how I read it but, as well. Yeah, we are still getting eventually maximum motors. <laughs> um, but right now they just sold their seats in the car because they're too busy to take them up. Well, whatever the reason, um, that yeah. it will be nice to see the car. Yep. At Silverstone. Um, and we've got debutant Ed McDermott, who is joining a Silverstone specialist, uh, Michael Broadhurst, who is a former GT4 lap record holder. Yeah, I remember Michael being quite an impressive peddler when he raced in... I think it might have been HHC, but it could have been Tolman. Um, but I remember him being quite an impressive peddler. Um, Ed McDermott has raced sort of European a bit, Ferrari Challenger, things like that. Um, apparently he's in the British Endurance Championship as well, so when we finally get some information to bring on Brick Carl, we can, we can cover that. Um, so Michael's been coaching Ed, and as we've, we've seen quite a bit, haven't we? Mm-hmm. In that the professional that coaches the amateur then pops in with the amateur for, for going racing and uh, either sets up their own team and sells a Bentley to buy a McLaren or um, goes up to GT3 and gets sky backing. To point out just two of the success stories from the driver coach coachy uh, relationship in recent years, of course, that's what got. Paddock bosses Kelvin and Martin off the ground, and the Mia and Ewan um, sort of powerhouse partnership that's forming. Do you want to talk about Garage 59 next? Yeah, um, sort of stick with McLaren now that we've aimed in that direction. Um, and this will be the news that Garage 59 are coming to play uh, now a bit. They've obviously changed cars um, over the offseason, I say obviously. Um, it was Master Martin they were racing before. They've now got McLaren 720Ss. Um, so two of those raced at Brands Hatch or even just gone, and one of them's staying behind for a bit of an extra play. Um, for Alex West and Marvin Kirschhofer. So, yeah, Marvin Kirschhofer, of course, McLaren uh, factory driver, has been racing for Jota in GT World Challenge Europe. Um, so he's another one who would have been at Brown's Hatch and just didn't go home. Um, Alex West, we've seen him before um, because he raced the Aston Martin on Garage 59. It was 2020 that Garage 59 came over. How can that be two years ago? Um, <laughs> uh, so, but yes, he's um, raced the Aston Martin with Garage 59 back at the Silverstone Showdown in 2020, um, and has familiarity with both car and team because he has raced the car along with Martin Kershoffer in the Asian Le Mans series this year. So Marvin making his series debut in British Jutta. Um And I love it when we get a new factory driver because the last time we got a Patrick, I've never seen before. We ended up with the uh, last 15 minutes of race one at Horton Park. <laughs> uh, 
we'll, we'll, we'll take that for three hours uh, on Grand Prix circuit at Silverstone. But the last piece of news that we have for you was uh, hot off the press this morning. Um, you know, I thought I'd got everything planned out for this and then we get a surprise announcement. Uh, but it's all good. We've got more driver changes um, and it looks like these are season long changes as well. So we've got a couple of swaps. So let's uh, talk first of all, both of these are GT4. Uh, so let's talk for Luger Racing first of all. Uh, now, Benji Heverington, who is team owner of Veluga Racing, is making way for uh, Matthew Graham, who isn't a name that I'm familiar with, but uh, looking at the press release, he's got a good background in uh, Porsche racing, and he's also a championship leader in Porsche Carrera Cup GB. He's finished quite high up there. Um, and Benji's really excited to have him uh, taking his place, basically. Um, so it looks like a deal has been on the go behind the scenes that's now finalised. And the other change is to the Toyota GR Supra uh, Toyota Kazoo Racing UK entry. And Jack Mitchell um, is no longer... Uh, seated in that car and Jordan Collard is returning to GT4 and this will be his fourth season or fourth year in GT4 he's previously always been in a McLaren uh, HHC Motorsport and then Team Rocket RJN last year Uh, but he's going to be obviously in the GR Supra this time and I think that's going to be interesting to see because uh, he's a bit quick at times. Is Jordan Collard? Yeah, he impressed last year in the uh, in the one Team Rocket RJN GT4 car that raced in Team Rocket colours, didn't he? He did, yeah. but I mean, he impressed yeah. me the year before in HHC because he was in some really good battles yeah. at the front. Um, yeah. Do you re- remember referring to Matty? Uh, not off the top of my head, but you know that I'm crap with names. Right, because Matthew Matthew Graham has raced before in the championship. He, I think it's McLaren's both time. No, it's Aston Martin first time. Um, he raced with Generation AMR racing, McMillan racing, um, back in 2016. And yes, I have to check that. Um, 2017, he raced with Into Racing, that was racing McLaren. Um, best finishing position fifth in the championship. So you don't finish fifth in GT4 without having pace. Uh, he spent a couple of years doing occasional appearances with um, James Holder, the uh, the bloke at the top of generation racing. Um, so this will be his third fairly full season in the championship um, and I'm glad to have him back because he showed quickness he did show quickness um, and as I said Jordan Collard can't say no to for all the latest news from sports car and endurance racing around the world visit the checkered flag.co.uk slash sportscars
With expert coverage of the World Endurance Championship, Porsche One Me Racing, the world of SRO Racing and Genetis, TCF Sportcast is your one-stop shop for GT and prototype news. Follow at TCF Sportscast on Twitter and get your latest stories direct to your feed today. So, yeah, um, Easter weekend. We're back on our usual Easter weekend date for the opening round of the Intelligent Money British GT. I like how you say usual, considering that Easter is movable. Well, we've discussed before how it's a movable feast, <laughs> but it is always Easter. Uh, so Easter Except is... for the last two years. <laughs> but no, Easter's been Easter for the last two years. We've just not been racing on it. Nothing's been nothing for the last two years. <laughs> Bogrel's been in demand. <laughs> but Easter weekend, Autumn Park returned to its traditional date. Very, very happy. Got the chance to do Woodhead Pass in both directions, um, which is all I really care about on Easter weekend, apart from, of course, seeing some great GT racing. And I think British GT delivered um, this time because we had one absolutely astonishing race one pretty astonishing race that was also pretty frustrating um so let's jump straight in with race one and the drivers jumped straight in as well because front row of the grid was an audi uh, for sure mouth and a mercedes for richard neary and they were both trying to occupy the same bit of tarmac at the first corner so the start of the race got a little bit physical didn't it Sarah? A little bit um, I mean it's nothing that we haven't seen before and undoubtedly we'll see again uh, we've discussed before Richard Neary is lightning quick on a start anyway and mm. he picks his spot and aims for it Yeah and there are times it really really works for him a la Donington Park 20 or 21 Um First Donington Park in 21, because um, it then didn't work for him at Spa, did it? No. In fact, it went quite spectacularly wrong. Um, on this occasion, it was there, there, there was a bit of red paint on a green Mercedes and a bit of green paint on a red Audi, and it all sort of shook itself out, and it worked for him because he'd, he'd moved up a place. The... I mean, yes, it was potentially a little bit physical, but that's, to a certain extent, Richard Neary's racing style. He, as you say, he sees a gap and he goes for it on the start. I think the key thing about the opening few laps of the race is the fact that as hard as, hard as Sean tried, there wasn't a whole lot he could do about a, a tumble down the order, was there? No, and it looked very much, and I think conversations we had over the weekend probably uh, substantiate it as well, that he was struggling to get the tyres um, going, which there does seem to be. Uh, they certainly seem to suit different cars better. Um, although the Audi does seem to quite suit, uh, but through the course of the weekend, there were certainly times when both Audis were struggling a little bit with the tyres and it did just seem like he just couldn't get them going. Um, so consequently, he ended up dropping down to, I think it was sixth in the order. Yeah, a big problem with the previous Pirelli tyre was that 
it really didn't suit a big GT car with a a grunt and go up front. And um, I'm particularly talking about something a bit British and built in crew here. Um, the new tyre appears to have been, because it was a new tyre for first time we've seen it. Uh, some teams got experience of running the new tyre when GT World Challenge raced in, um, in Mala. That sounds about right. No, I think it was in Mala. In Italy, <laughs> but they got experience of, of of running the tire there, which no doubt stood them in good stead. Um, but it is a new tire for British GT. There is not really another track out there that's like Alton Park, is there? Um, so, and it's it seems like this tire has been a bit more engineered to suit the the Big Bang of V8s the the Mercedes, the Bentley. Um, I think also to a certain extent, the Mustang in GT4 may have had some benefit from a tyre that's better suited to a car which might not have perfect weight distribution. Yeah, I mean, that's something we can certainly try and find out. Mm. Uh, go and talk to them at the weekend. Yeah, obviously we had quite a few big engine out front driver quite far back cars in the top class. Uh, Richard Neary obviously moved as far forward as he could in the opening lap. Um, when you start second, you can only really make up one place. Um, the one that really shot forward, and it was almost a stealthy rise, wasn't it? Yeah, we had a few of those this weekend. Uh, Ian Loggy started quite a ways down, finished the first lap in eighth place. What an, a, an astonishing launch for the Ram Man. Yeah. I mean, you can't argue with it. It was a little bit lost uh, with other stuff going on, but all of a sudden, there he was. Yeah, and it's it's a vital period of the race, which Ian exploited brilliantly, which set up the latter part of the race. Uh, and we'll get to that in a bit. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Um, really the first 15 minutes of the race was almost sparring for position wasn't it yeah there are a fair few battles uh, going on um, especially for kind of front mid pack mm. so we're talking 4th, 5th, 6th places um, it seemed to be a little bit of a battle pack going on we were looking probably about 20 minutes into the race when the, the leader, Richard Neary, caught up to GT4 traffic. And we're not talking about the one or two cars, stragglers running around at the back. There were a couple of those um, that didn't really create an issue. But there was a couple of stragglers running around the back and then the rest of the GT4 class just as one massive hornet's nest of Pirelli tyres and, and bodywork, wasn't it? Um I think possibly as Richard Neary came over Hilltop and saw what we had to get through in the next lap or two, there was probably a bit of a gulp. Um, but he set to the challenge and he started passing cars. And then he came across the number 48, which is the new number for the Toyota. Yeah, the not number 15 Toyota GR Supra. <laughs> um, now, we're talking back end of the circuit through Hislop's Nickerbrook, up Clee Hill and through the Water Tower. Uh, whilst Richard had been catching up with GT4 traffic, 
Graham Davidson, the uh, the man who stepped in at relatively short notice to the Team Rocket RJN McLaren. He'd caught up to Richard um, and was looking for a way through. Richard basically came out of Nickerbrook and tried to do the move that I try for every time on a Seto Corsa. And it comes off for me, <laughs> which is to give it a bootful and power down the left-hand side of the GT4 car and get to the apex before the GT4 car does. Unfortunately, the GT4 car kind of forgot it was a GT4 car and performed like a GT3 briefly. Um, shot off like the proverbial rubber's dog, leaving Richard the option to either slow down behind the GT4 car or jink out to the right. And jink out to the right he did. Unfortunately, Graham Davidson had already seen it happening and pulled up alongside the Mercedes. And what followed, of course, was contact, McLaren off. So yeah, Graham Davidson had got alongside, Richard Neary moved to the right, contact between Mercedes and McLaren, and McLaren went off onto the grass, Didn't obviously didn't have any traction, um, and went straight into the tyres up by the water tower. The accident looked quite impressive. Um, bits of bodywork were lost. Um, the good news is that when an accident looks impressive and bodywork is lost, that's energy being dissipated. So Graham Davison was unharmed in the accident, uh, but the car was out of the race on the spot. Really impressively to me, Graham Davison drove that, drove that car back at the end of the race. So despite the fact it had ripped off its bodywork and got into the uh, tyres at high speed, etc., etc., the car stood up to the impact and was drivable at the end of the race. Yep, and it was, spoiler alert, jumping ahead a little bit, it was back in race two, which for a short turnaround uh, between two sprint races, you know, that shows that that damage wasn't that significant and the car did what it was supposed to do. The bodywork took the impact. <laughs> Provided three of the four wheels are pointing in approximately the right direction, most race teams can turn quite a lot around in a short time. But it was a quite a substantial impact. It was quite a substantial impact at just the right angle to rip things from tops. So they were very fortunate that the suspension wasn't ripped from the carbon fibre tub and do chassis damage. Then sort of pit stop o'clock, wasn't it? It was. Uh, pit window opened. Richard Neary first to come in. Uh, good handover to Sam, who uh, kept the lead. But the real story around the pit stops um, was the amount of penalties and the amount of errors. Yes. Um, I say literary, um, literary illusions. <laughs> All <yeah>. are punished. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've seen that many penalties flicking up on the ticker. Um, we had a number of short pit stops, uh, the Neary's being one of them. Yeah. They also were pinged for contact for the... They were given accident responsibility for the contact with Graham Davidson. Um, so got two penalties in the space of two lines of the ticker, didn't they? They did. Um, and that wasn't all, but we'll come to that later. Um. We also had a little bit of an embarrassing moment, I would say, probably, uh, for Morgan Tilbrook in the Enduro Motorsport McLaren. Uh, he 
managed to miss the pit box. Um, I mean, it was really busy. Lots of teams were coming in. Uh, he effectively gave himself a penalty. Yes. Um, but he was well, probably one of the few drivers that didn't get a penalty. <laughs> I mean, it's it's happened before. It will happen again. Oh, it yeah. It's just unfortunate because he was having a really good race and what could have been a podium finish um, was not a podium finish by the time he'd been round and, and come back again. So that brings us on to the second part of the race, um, which I know you have some opinions here, as do I. So I'll let you... Uh... I would like to point out, particularly for the benefit of one co-commentator from the World TV feed, um, who um, has been known to dabble in touring cars and do GT World Challenge and uh, answers to the initials DA. Um, let's let's keep it a little bit cryptic here. <laughs> there was an awful lot of excessive love for one Jules Gounon. And in fairness to David Addison, it's, um, who did turn around straight away and say, Cards on the table. I am a fan of Jules Gounel. Um, And we all have our fans, our little things that we're fans of in in the series that we cover. Yeah, um, I mean, we make no apologies for the fact that uh, Nick clearly has favourites. But we try and keep it balanced. Yes, we, we do try for, as the BBC term it, due impartiality. Um. But there was a lot of blind love towards Charles Goodman from the uh, from, from the commentary box, um, saying that as he caught up to really experienced British GT talent, oh well, this will be easy for him because he's Charles Goodman, he's a Mercedes factory driver, and he's this really good driver. And don't get me wrong, Charles Goodman is an amazing driver, but he is one among many in the British GT field. He is not the only good driver in the field. And I think that was lost a little bit in the commentary. Yeah, I mean, it. I said this before, it made me a little bit angry at points because essentially it was a bit dismissive towards some of the amazing talent that we've got. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, he's fresh to British GT and that's only good for the series. And yeah, it might make people up their game a bit. But they're already up there. And we didn't get that when we got the top-level Lamborghini talent in when Michael Igo was test-driving everybody that had ever driven a Lamborghini. Because we had Bertolotti, we had Calderelli, we had um, Mapelli, didn't we? Yes. I mean, those are three top draw GT3 drivers that have come from Europe to play in our pond and we didn't get this absolute flooding of love to those drivers in the commentary we got the acknowledgement of the fact that there's a Lamborghini factory driver and they're going to help Michael go quick having the passion is fantastic we just need to make sure I think that we're giving the praise where it's due all over the shop and not dismissing what we've got on our doorstep and not taking it for granted either 
because I'm fairly sure some of our drivers could go off and make that kind of impact elsewhere. And there are names springing to my mind that I'm not going to say off the top of my head because this isn't that discussion. We are getting sidetracked a little bit. So let's talk a bit now about uh, what I've turned as Gunon's assault. Um, because oh, yes. assault it was. Because <laughs> he yeah. got off in that car. He was straight in, straight on it, eyes on the prize, heading for the top. His first real battle uh, was against Jamie Stanley in the Fox Motorsport McLaren. And I was super impressed with his defending. You know, I haven't seen a McLaren that wide because elbows out, ankles out. Mm. and you know baseball bat on either side just to make sure <laughs> pretty much um you know it's not his first time racing a gt3 car but it's his first time in a while yeah i was super impressed with that and it wasn't a short defense either it was a good couple of couple of few laps wasn't it it was and yes it's not easy to pass at Alton park but Ian Loggy proved it can be done in the first stint. And you'd think that the man that Ian Loggy's paying, well, we don't know the exact figure, but I'm guessing he's not being paid minimum wage to come out and do this. Um, we'd, be get, we'd, we'd be guessing the man that Ian Loggy sort of handpicked to, to come and help him in his title assault is going to be at least as good as Ian himself. Um, and Jamie didn't make it easy for him really didn't make it easy to the point that it had to be the seller dummy and pin him against traffic to get past. Yeah. Now, in the meantime, those penalties that we've mentioned had started kicking in. Um, a number of people had ended up, which left Adam Carroll at the top and Jamie Stanley in second. So just to clarify on the order there, we'd got Adam Carroll taking over for Sean Balfe, Jamie Stanley in the Fox Motorsport and... Gunon had made his way up to third by this point. Obviously, the overtake uh, puts him into second. Sight set on Carol. And Nick, I will let you take it home. Well, the gap was closed in double quick time, wasn't it? There was no doubting the fact that Jules Gunon was faster around Alton Park on the morning of Monday the 18th than Adam Carroll because it did not take him long to catch up. And all the way through it, the commentary was saying, oh, we'll catch him in a, in a lap and it'll be an easy pass. And it went from being an easy pass to being, well, it'll take a little time, but this is inevitable to, well, Adam Carroll's putting up a good defence, but in the end, Gunon will get to, oh, congratulations, Mr. Carroll, you've won. <laughs> um, in fairness, Jules Gunon, did lead a lap of the race. He led a corner of the race, let's be fair. Timing and scoring says <laughs> that Jules Gounon led a lap of the race by about the depth of a Mercedes badge. <laughs> As I said, he led a corner of the race. It just happened to be where the timing bar was. That's the thing. He didn't even lead a corner. He led part of a straight. <laughs> <laughs> because Jules Gunnan had to break her slightly earlier to get around that, that corner. So 
basically, I don't know whether it is a conscious decision for Madame Carroll or not to let basically Jules get alongside. If it was a conscious decision, it was a risky one. Um, but Jules Gounon got alongside and they dragged race to the line and at the line, about two laps, three laps from the end, the Mercedes was ahead by a couple of thousands. It was nothing. Um, but Adam held his inside line for the first corner and basically dared Jules Gounon to go around the outside and didn't really leave him a lot of options. Uh, so Gunon had to back out of it and drop him behind. Um, and that was as close as the Mercedes got to to winning the race. Because thereafter, Adam Carroll had it all all in hand, basically. And Jules Gunon couldn't get another could couldn't get another attack in, even when another run at GT four traffic was coming up, wasn't it? Mm. So I mean absolutely that 15 minutes, if they decided to cancel the rest of the British GT season and just play that 15 minutes on repeat, I'd end this season a happy man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the best thing for me um, was actually afterwards when they pulled up because the mutual admiration between Gunon and Carol was absolutely clear. Um. You know, you see some sports where the other person comes up, you get a handshake or a half hug with a, you know, well done, you won. Yeah. Kind of thing in that hole. I'm being nice because I have to be, but I'm a bit bitter. Yeah. The Absolutely sort of... not the case here. Max and Lewis. Max and Lewis, when Max and Lewis were trading wins last year. Yeah. It was, I'm expected to go and congratulate the bloke, but. Really, I needed those points to beat him. <laughs> um, with these two, there was no thought of that. It was Jules Goodon got out of the car, ran over to Adam Carroll, and good on you, mate. Is arg. Um, respect, earned, respect given, and that's that's GT racing. We can knock ten bells of whatever out of each other on the track, but we get back, and it's. Well, welcome back to Intelligent Money British GT Championship. It's a one heck of a way to return. Well, thank you. Um, beyond expectations, really. Um, I mean, we were comfortable with, with where we were at as a team. Um, being a single car entry, which I've got a habit of doing, if you remember 2019, uh, with, with the M car. <laughs> The, the McLaren the one, <laughs> yeah the McLaren was fantastic um, but we were single car so for Adam what that means is you know his, his overlay his data and progression in the car is really difficult because you know there's not there's not three or four cars to, to, to work together with so being a single car entry uh, we just had to go on our gut feeling which was we were we were comfortable and happy. Uh, a little bit surprised in qualifying, to be honest. I wouldn't have bet betted on a pole, so that was nice. Um, the start was not ideal. <laughs> so just after that, it was. I said to the lads, if I can't be quick off the line, then I'm going to be smart. Yep. Um, and then Adam did the quick bit. 
And <laughs> what was it like in that last 15 minutes watching your man, Adam, out there in your new car um, with one of the fastest pros in the field behind him? Uh, must have been a bit nerve-wracking for you. Yeah, it was. The team were, were really twitchy. Jules is, you know, fantastic, professional. Um, I think we were very... We were very lucky that we'd got Jules Goon on there uh, because those guys were really respectful and they put on a great show for British GT, which is, which is what you want to be part of. You want to be part of something that's quality, that people talk about. Um, and Adam and Jules did a fantastic job to hopefully make a pretty exciting opener and be great to see that continue, really, particularly in that order, if possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, agree. I thought you might, might say that. But it's, it's 15 minutes of TV that'll be shown for the entire year, that, isn't it? Fantastic racing, and congratulations again to you and to Adam. And hopefully we'll be talking to you at the end of the next one as well. Yeah, I hope so, mate. Thank you. Fantastic. Congratulations. Cheers. So, Walter Gertha, uh, Rinner in Silver Am class, British GT Championship. Did you expect that at the start of the race? Did you expect that on Friday afternoon? Um, probably not on Friday afternoon. At the start of the race, I was... To be honest, I didn't think or didn't even really want to think of where we'd end up. Um, just saw that Mark did, and honestly, a brilliant job. Really, really brilliant job in that opening stint. He was really fast, about half a second off the quickest boys in GC3. So when I hopped into the car, it was more sort of uh, hop in and see where we end up. Um, we had a load of uh, cars in front of us in the pit stop, so lost a bunch of time. Um, so that was quite tricky and that would have brought us up to the group in front so maybe we'd have been able to fight for the overall podium rather than seventh it was a super tight group up front as everyone probably saw um and i'd have loved to have been a part of it but um we got held up in the pits a bit but it was a mega battle to get up to p7 really really good fun just loved it and your championship fight is in in the silver am class isn't it with the likes of jules gunon and uh, phil keen and that lot battling out at the front no offense yeah <laughs> I've, I've got to be honest, I'm always thinking of the overall podium. I said to Mark, you know, number one goal is always the overall podium. Um, so, Silver Am is the cherry on top, the bonus of it. So, it's really good to look at. And um, But our, our main goal is always going to be overall podium. That's where we're, we're pushing. We'd like to be up, up there this season. We'd like to be up there this season. Well, you guys executed pretty much flawlessly. So a little bit of traffic in the pit stop, which I'm guessing you've seen the way that some cars strategize that. Yeah, it was um, actually it was actually one of the the McLarens actually boxed in our box, so we had to box earlier. Yeah, uh, uh, I don't know. There was, yeah, yeah, they did. They boxed. They bo boxed in our box. We had to box a little bit earlier, so it was super tight. When we got pushed out. Um, subsequently, I actually couldn't get out for about four or five seconds, so I had to just sit and wait. And when you look at the results, that four or five seconds, the gap to the podium, yeah, so bit gutted. But having said that, we basically didn't have a car on Friday night, and this is a lone car, and it's incredible the job that the boys in the team have done. Um, Mark did an incredible job in that opening stint, so no complaints at all. Just loved it. Considering last time he raced in British GT, he was driving this. Yes, yeah. it's, it's one heck of a one heck of a result. Last time I raced in British GT, I was I was driving. Yeah, I was driving. Yep, yeah, and that was five years ago now. So, 
Because you've been playing in GT4 Europe since and doing a little bit of stuff over in America, haven't yeah. you? Uh, so I, I did, after we won British GT, we went to Euro GT4. Um, we actually came second in the, that championship, but we finished on the same points as the leaders. We were gutted, lost it on count back. Yeah. But then the year after, I, I did Bathurst, 12 hour with Janetta, and then I went to uh, BMW and did loads of stuff over in the Nordschleife in Germany. I did GT Masters in the Audi GT3 um, and a bit of GT Cup, and I've done GT Cup every year since in the Nissan. We moved to a Mercedes this year, uh, GT3. And the last couple of years, I've done a mix of sort of Audi and Mercedes and BMW stuff all over in Germany. So I've been a busy boy. I think I've done nearly, since British GT, I've probably done nearly 120 race weekends in those four years. Yeah. I've been a busy, busy boy. You've got another race later on today. Yeah. What's the plan for that? Go fast. <laughs> go, go fast, yeah, pass yeah. lots of cars. Yeah. Wave yeah. at Jules on the way past. Uh, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I, I don't know. Hopefully, I think our race pace is quite good, actually. So we're starting P11. Hopefully, we can jump a couple of people at the start, put in a good stint, and then hand the car over to Mark, who's going to do a brilliant job again. So we'll and see what new, happens. The new tyres suit the Bentley? Because the previous set of tyres apparently didn't suit it quite so much. Yeah, I think I think they're probably better for us, but it's just getting uh, getting the car used to it because all the AMG testing that I've done, I've done with the new tyre, so I know how to get the tyre working. Yeah. It's just getting the car to work with the tyre. So that's been our big challenge so far. Fantastic. Anyway, congratulations awesome. to you. Thank you. And I shall hopefully be speaking yeah, to you at the end of the next one. See you later. Yeah. So yeah, that was the GT3 race. <laughs> As you can imagine... Uh, it took the majority of the focus of the race. So we didn't get that much of a look in on GT4, unfortunately. No, a lot of what we found out about GT4, we found out post-race, didn't we? In terms by, by speaking to people and by piecing it together. Mm. I mean, they, you know, quite rightly, their focus was on the absolutely stunning mm. bits of racing. And, you know, there were bits of GT3 being lost. As we said, you know, you didn't really notice Ian Loggy making up all those places um, you, you or other people because he wasn't the only one. You didn't really notice that one of the most eagerly anticipated cars of the season wasn't even in the race. That's also true. The other thing to note about GT3 here, we had 17 cars entered, 16 took the start, didn't we? Uh, yeah. Yeah, because the number 91, the new Century Motorsport BMW, was just a little bit wonky. After a after a warm up uh, warm up accident for for Betty Chen, the team were working to repair the car, and we did eventually see it in race two. Yep. So GT four, um, we had Richard Williams on pole. Didn't stay there for long. Bit of no. a mirror mirror of uh, Sean Balfe there. Yes, but without the trading of paint. Yes. Um, basically, Richard told me, and as we'll hear in a moment, because we've got a, a recording of a, of a conversation with Richard, um, as he pulled away at the start, on the run down to the first corner, he missed a gear. He pulled a gear too early, or he pulled a gear too late, or, or somehow he's messed up a gear change. And that led through Benji Hetherington who has raced in the top class of British GT before. He used to he raced for Fortec in um in one of the old Mercedes SLS GT3s, one of the big brute blows of Raspberry on the way down the straight things. Um 
but he's obviously running or was running in, in the Veluga Concierge, I think the team's called, is it? I think they're Veluga Racing, but their social media is Veluga Concierge. Uh, I'm sure we can double check with Benji because it's his team. Yeah, but the Veluga portion. <laughs> um, uh, let Benji Hetherington get ahead and it put Richard Williams into a bit of a, a Stuttgart sandwich, didn't it? It did. Because it wasn't just the Veluga car that was running well for, for Porsche, it was also the Team Parker racing car, which had got itself into third. Mm-hmm. I think this is quite significant. Because if you run back through the history of Porsche in GT4, in British GT, for the past 10, 12 years, the previous GT4 Porsche never did particularly well at the hands of GT Marks or at the hands of Team Parker Racing, because it was the car that Nick Jones and Scott Malvin had and decided to get rid of in favour of the Mercedes. The car before that was the 997 shape Porsche 911. And... When I started covering British GT, that was on its way out and it was running around at the back as well. This new Porsche has obviously got something about it. Richard Williams, Stella, Stella Motorsport. Not a bad way to open the season. No, and 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 I just a, just a lovely. Uh, well, you can't get any better than that, can you? You know, going off of pole and then uh, and then winning the race. We didn't make it easy for ourselves, but I mean, you know, Lady Luck was uh, was on our on our side for that first one, and we're, hopefully she's still there this afternoon as well. <laughs> well, you've got to execute in British GT. There's so many high quality teams, and a lot of teams around you didn't execute, and they paid the price for that. Yeah. Your your guys in the car got it right. Your guys in the pit lane got it right. Yeah. And it it takes a team to win. Yeah. I mean, that's that's exactly right. So, and, and we've we've got some really good you know we, we've, we've we've had some additions to the team in terms of personnel over the last couple of weeks and it's just you know it's just really kind of gelling very quickly which is which is exactly what we needed um and that's paying dividend on the track you know so it's it's great but i mean the race i had with benji uh in the porsche at the start uh, me being rusty uh, at the start i pulled a gear too early and the car bogged down uh it gave him momentum into turn one and uh and it was nice to actually follow another car for you know, particularly the Porsche. It's a new car this year, so it was great to see where he was, where strength and weaknesses around the lap were. And um, but you know, the Audi is, is is super. Yeah, we've got we've just found a, a really good balance in the car. The tyres are working really really well over a stint and, and over one lap. So um, yeah, we're in a good place. Good stuff. And um, so looking forward to to next race. Where are you on the grid for the next one? So we're starting P2. P2, yeah. so it's their turn to pull a gear a bit early and, and you guys get ahead, yeah? <laughs> well, Senna's in the car this time, so he won't get it wrong. <laughs> Fantastic, and obviously the target again, somewhere towards the front. Absolutely. Success penalties gonna gonna play a factor though? Uh, yeah, they will actually in this one, so it'll be interesting to see how how we um, how that all how that all washes through. So we get a 15 seconds longer pit stop as a success for winning the first race. So there's a job to do. And I'm just pleased Senna's got to do it. <laughs> well, congratulations to you, to you both and to the entire team. It was great to watch. Was it particularly busy out there? <laughs> In terms of, it seemed a bit more hectic when the GT3 traffic was coming through. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's a great question, actually, because actually during, during free practice on Friday and, and on Saturday, it was a real issue with, with how many GT3 cars were, um, you know, 
overtaking and it messes up your rhythm, messes up your lap time for us GT4 cars, but messes up for them as well. You know, but that's part of part of the formula that works really, really well for British GT is that you have those two categories racing on the same bit of track at the same time. So that's just an element you have to deal with. But I mean, in actual fact, during the race, I probably had four or five GT3 cars that, that came by me. One particularly cost me a lot of time, but you know, um, I'm not complaining. You know, we've got we've got the points, we've bagged the points, and you know, for us, it's all about just now being consistent and keep banging in those those good results. Fantastic! Thank you very much. So, congratulations again, and look forward to hopefully talking to you after the next one. Yeah, hopefully we'll definitely see you again. Thank you. Hmm. We also had a bit more mirroring in the GT4 race because we had another significant jump up at the start as well. Uh, this was the Academy Motorsport Mustang. Uh, with Marcus Inuretti in there. Now, they started on the penultimate row of the grid and he brought the car up to fourth within the first lap. Yeah, um, is it 15 entries in GT4? I think it was. It was a good number. Yeah, penultimate row of the grid is row six. That means it is... 11 or 12. 11 or 12. So it's eight places, potentially. I've seen races where that would be starting last, finishing first. <laughs> so, moving on, the Stella Motorsport uh, recovered and was back in the lead by the seventh lap of the race. As I said, we've not got masses of, of coverage on that. But as we got to the pit stops, do you want to bring out your second literary phrase? A plague on both your houses. GT4 were not immune to the penalties. Um, <laughs> Nick wrote a line I particularly liked in the race report because everything was under the attention of GT3, so GT4 was struggling to get a look in, but the stewards were determined to give them equal billing. <laughs> um, so we had... <laughs> Yeah, I've I've looked at the notes that we've got for this conversation. I'm sort of thinking, who the hell is Tigger? <laughs> uh, but of course, we're talking about Toyota Gazoo Racing here, aren't we? <laughs> yep. Um, we didn't catch exactly what this was. We are pretty sure it was track limits, though, because there were a few track limits warnings for them in the start of the race. And it was about the time that everybody was getting track limits penalties. Yeah because there were a number of track limit penalties as well as the short pit stops. However, we did have some short pit stops in GT4 as well, including for the Stella Motorsport, who mistimed it a little bit because theirs was six seconds. And I think that was the longest one given in terms of stop go. Yeah, um, but Sen and Fielding had the wheel at this point. He did. Because they'd pit stopped. Um, and a, there was no arguing the toss with, with Peter Daly. There was none of this, oh, well, well, we'll do it and we can get round to it. The announcement came out that they had the penalty and almost by the time they finished typing the penalty into the timing screen, the penalty had been served. <laughs> it was pretty damn quickly done. Um, which then left Senon the entire second half of the race to go off and, and chase down what he'd lost. And... Um. He did that quite effectively, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, we also had penalties for Newbridge Motorsport. Um, Seb Hopkins got a penalty. 
Assetto ended up with a penalty as well. Uh, mm. Again, that one we think was track limits, but yeah, it's there's always going to be a little bit of sloppy execution at the first race of the season. But this took the biscuit, didn't it? In fact, it didn't just take the biscuit; it took the entire team. <laughs> it did. I mean, I was sat there trying to because I live tweet all the races, as I'm sure you know. Um, you can tell there's hashtags in it. There's <laughs> hashtags and the spelling's right. And for the most part, anyway, I'm not immune to it. Um, but, you know, you've only got a limited number of space <laughs> to to put in there. And I got onto the third person's penalty and then more flashed up. And it's like, oh, I've got to send that now. Um, it was absolutely thick and fast as it was coming through. But then that's you also... See, you see now why I've developed my own little shorthand. I say it's my own little shorthand. I'm guessing every motorsport journalist that doesn't actually know shorthand uses the same. Car number SG10, for example, is a stop and go penalty for car X or whatever. Um, the problem is we can't pump that out to, to you guys out there because we're trying to put it in plain English, not into cryptic crossword. Yeah, I, I don't believe in jargon. <laughs> But yeah, let's uh, talk about the second part of the race. Obviously, we had the Stella Motorsport then getting back to the front, uh, taking in the lead. But they weren't the only ones that had an impressive race, were they? No, because... I mean, Veluga were making their series debut. They finished second. And our racing finished third. This is a relatively new team with a new car. One that came as a bit of a surprise to everybody when they announced. And up against properly seasoned competition, they they, they, they come out and get on the podium in their first attempt. It almost sort of makes a bit of a mockery of British GT in a way, doesn't it? So, yeah, I can, I can turn up and take a pot the first race of the season. I mean, to me, it just says that they're well prepared and they know what they're in for. They've been working mm -hmm. for it. Yeah. And congratulations to it. By the way, the car looks proper. I do like the fact that we've not got... The Aston Martins haven't gone all serious with the sponsor logos and et cetera, et cetera. We've got one that's got a couple of sponsor logos on it, but is fairly plain Jane in its appearance. And the other one is Scully, which is just Scully, isn't it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um it's not all corporate the way that other teams have, have kind of have to go because they're relying on sponsorship and whatnot. But, but yeah, it was, from what we saw, it was a good race in GT4. Nothing we could say. Yeah, all round. So. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about race two. Uh, there were some very thrilling moments, not necessarily for the same reasons. Yes. Um, some difficult moments. Yeah, and we'll let you know who won it before Donington Park. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's address that elephant in the room at the moment. Uh, the results are provisional um, as for reasons that we'll get into through the race. Uh, decisions were made which uh, Ram Racing have chosen to appeal 
uh, that appeal was initially uh, rejected. Um, so it's gone through to kind of the full judicial process. Um, so breaking news that was declared this afternoon is that uh, at Silverstone at this weekend, uh, the results will again be provisional. Uh, success penalties that were gained as a result of race two will not be served. They will be suspended and applied retrospectively once the appeal has been heard uh, by the National Court. Uh, they're currently waiting for a date on that. Uh, but once that has been heard and the outcome has been decided upon, we'll have a finalised result from Park second race and consequently that will then affect the results of Silverstone as we'll get retro retroactive success seconds applied at that point. Uh, now SRO are hoping and awaiting confirmation that this will be resolved before Donington. Two things that come to me from that. One, great news, we get round one all over again, where everybody's on an even keel, but it's for the biggest race of the year. Downside, are there gonna, is there going to be a podium ceremony? Are, the, are we going to be able to, on Sunday, are we going to be able to write on Sunday afternoon that car number X with these drivers won the Silverstone 500. Are we going to have to wait for a court date, which might be a month away? I'm, I'm, I'm not certain what to make of this, except for I've, I've voiced an opinion before. Um, and I shall voice it again, that I think Ram Racing, I know they've got to look after their potential, they've got to look after their current client, but look at the damage they're doing to the sport that had such a massive boost from race one race two is undoing a whole load of that now yeah we had quite a heated discussion about it earlier and i have taken gag <laughs> <laughs> well i was going to say that i stepped into your editorial director shoes for a moment <laughs> <laughs> and put my foot down and said no you know this is an ongoing situation by all means you're allowed opinions you know, everyone is allowed opinions. I will fight for people to be able to express those opinions. But we don't know what's happening. And we don't know what's going to happen. All we can do is deal with the facts as we've been given them. And that is what's happening. So that being said, let's talk about race two. Yes. Um... Well, race start. And it's all going to be going Jules Goonon's way, isn't it? He's shot off at the front like a proverbial rubber's dog and built a four-second advantage over Adam Carroll in the space of the first two laps. So it's it's Ram's race, isn't it? Yeah. Like we had a few little hiccups at that point. We had some early contact at Cascades uh, where Will Trigertha and Phil Keane came to blows and ended up off in the grass and also drive drove Jamie Stanley and the Fox McLaren a bit wide on the grass to try and avoid the kerfuffle. Will Trigertha 
he, he's not somebody you'd want to lend a car to, is he? Because the car that he clumped Phil Keane with wasn't the Assetto car. We didn't discuss this in the last last race. But Mark Samson, who is undertaking the massive job of, in his second season of British GT, stepping up to GT3. And with a car that nobody else is running this year because it's been proven a little bit of a handful for the past few years. And he had a rather monumental off in testing on the Friday. Hasn't written the car off, but there are serious question marks over whether the drivetrain was usable for this weekend, the engine and the gearbox. So they've gone looking around for another car they can use, and Martin Plowman and Kelvin Fletcher have gone, well, we've still got our Bentley, why don't you use that? Um, So after I was bemoaning in the last episode the fact that we're not going to get to see that blue and orange and yellow livery again. Guess what turned up to Alton Park on Saturday? Yeah, I think I was still nursing a little bit of residual trauma because uh, I told Nick because he was driving over Woodhead um, and his response was literally, oh, it's still dirty. <laughs> literally, uh, the, the Paddock Motorsport guys... Finished the final race of last year, put it in the transporter, pushed it off the transporter and left it in the corner of the workshop. Hadn't even got around to washing it. It wasn't just that. It was the evil cackle as you're, you know, avoiding sheep on the wooded pass. (laughs) (laughs) And that's not a euphemism either. There was a sheep and her babies just walking down the middle of the road, not a care in the world. (laughs) But yes, um... So the car that Tregurtha was driving at the start of race two um, was a borrowed car, still in mostly the livery for the previous people, just with the sponsor logos peeled off, and a little bit shorter at the end of lap one than it was at the start, because it was quite a clouty gave Phil Keane, wasn't it? Mm. It was certainly a bit of a punt, uh, but no real harm done to either car, both recovered. No, and fair play to Phil Keane, straight off onto the grass, 360, kept the boot in and drove it straight off and in pursuit of people around him. It's that That's car control. That managed to do some rallying. The next lap, lap two, uh, we had some more contact this time. Another between... paddock car decided to have a crash. <laughs> between some GT4 cars this time. Uh, but this resulted in a safety car. We'll discuss that a little bit more when we get into the GT4 uh, discussion. But obviously that meant Gunon's advantage that he'd built up ridiculously quickly was cancelled. That safety car remained until just before the GT3 pit window was due to open. And then we had our next complication. Yes, whoever wrote the script for this race just kind of threw everything in in at the same time, didn't they? It was select it all, drag and drop. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's not a bank holiday without rain. Yes, but it took its time arriving, which is why it arrived with such force. And force it was, but not everywhere. Um, as we'd said when we were talking about this before, if you were stood at one side of the media centre, you've got lovely blue skies, sunshine, ice cream, rainbows, puppies... At the other side of the media centre, you got pretty much pretty much downpour, torrential rain, didn't you? 
briefly and yeah. then it lifted. Yeah, I mean, it didn't last long, but it was long enough to do damage. Um, so as this was happening, just as the pit window opened, normally the pros have started this race. They'd stay out as long as they could in the pit window to give the AMs the best chance. Um, but given the tyres not being suitable, a lot decided that they were going to come straight away. A um, couple of teams decided to stay out a little bit, but it all became a moot point um, because the Ram Racing number 15 and the Greystone GT McLaren, the number five of Lewis Proctor, both had a big off at the same point separately. Yeah, so much so that I hadn't even... I mean, I knew that the number five was out, but I hadn't realised that it was an accident. I thought it was a breakdown. I thought it was a completely different part of the circuit. Um, uh, I sent and- Nick a video of it yesterday to have a look at when we were preparing for things, and he didn't realise just how much of an off it was, um, because but I'd it said... it wasn't. Well, it, it wasn't. wasn't. It was... <laughs> It was a, a middle-aged man running up to a low fence and hopping over it. <laughs> Just using a car to hop. <laughs> but it, it was that, wasn't it? it? It was... The kids went running in in the shape of a Mercedes and did loads and loads of barrier mess. And then soon after, the dad came running along and hopped a leg over the fence. <laughs> Important thing, both drivers absolutely fine. Um, we saw them get out. Cars, not so much, but there was quite significant barrier damage as a result of mm. uh, the McLaren managing to jump over. And I've watched it, that video a few times over the last few days. I didn't realise Nick hadn't seen it and didn't know what had happened. I mean, it looks to me like it might well have been aquaplaning from the water on there, just yeah. how they went off. Um, yeah, that was, I've turned the wheel and nothing's happening. Yeah. But as Nick said, that's not a massive amount of speed. It didn't, but it was almost like a skipping skipping a smooth stone across a pond as it came yeah. across the grass, wasn't it? But it wasn't getting any height. No, it was. Mm. It was just a. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the best way I can describe it is monster mm. truck, just a very, very, very low riding <laughs> mini monster truck. <laughs> but it should have hit the barrier and dug down not hit the barrier and gone up and over i i I don't get how the physics of that accident i think that's the thing physics were slightly broken for for a microsecond there um but that did result in a red flag and a significant stop to allow for recovery of the cars and repair Mm. of of the barriers but this is where it started to get confusing Yes, because because we were in the pit window, weren't we? We were in the pit window. Some had come in. Some had done their their success penalties. Some were mid-penalty. Some hadn't done their penalties. Some hadn't even come in. Uh, And we weren't at GT4 pit window either. So a lot of confusion at that point because no one was sure what was happening. Um, You know, we were all sat there in the media centre going, well, what's what's the protocol here? What what happens? How is this going to affect? Um, and having slightly had a go at Adders earlier about his love for one, Jules Gounon, 
props to him now because he did his job and he did it bloody well. And before long, he was reading out the rule that was in the rule book for just this circumstance. There's not many series out there that will have thought, we've got a set pit window. and Whatever red flag comes out during that set pit window. And we've also got success seconds. So what if somebody's got to serve success seconds while the red flag comes out during the pit window of a short race when we've got multiple... And somebody at SRO sat there, figured out everything that can go wrong and written a rule to deal with it. And Sarah knows what that rule is. <laughs> well, I don't know the the you know designation of where the rule is, but I can tell you what happened. So, as the restart came to be, the cars would start behind the safety car, rolled back to pre pit stop order. Drivers and tyres changed, so the teams were given three minutes to make the adjustments that they needed to make. Uh, once it had been worked out that was what was happening so choose what they were going back out on second driver in the pairing and the success seconds from race one would be added after the race concluded and in gt4 the silver cup entrants all get a 14 second penalty um relating to the driver pairings and that would also be added retrospectively so that's where we're at at the restart and not going to belabor the, the point or anything here but it's the application of this rule which is we believe what ram have appealed isn't it yes but so we're not going to go into that but this is just to tidy up that little bit from talking briefly about the ram situation so yeah we're the cars are going back out to the grid everybody's shaking down into order ready to start or restart the race all of a sudden Mia Fluitt sat in was it second or third third so Mia Fluitt sat in third place and it's like where the bloody hell did that come from <laughs> Ewan's obviously done a really good job so far because no one noticed but he wasn't the only one and at the front of the field we have Ian Loggy. And Sean Balf, the in the wrong order, but the winner in second place from race one, who have success seconds to be applied um, post-race because they couldn't do them in the pit stops. Now, the other person who'd sn snuck up through the order um, at that point, as we realised, was Martin Plowman, because Kelvin Fletcher was now sat in seventh. Um, and Martin had been quite efficiently picking off mm. cars as they started that 14th. Another, that was another start down in the cheap seats, wasn't it? It was. So we're at the restart. We then have the front two cars start to pull away. And then we have a number of things happen in a really short space of time. One, Mia hits the Transformers button and her McLaren expands. <laughs> That's very true. Um, some yeah, some great defensive driving from Mir. Um, she held off a right battle pack for a good few laps. Mm. We were saying earlier about people in the media having their people that they're sort of fans of. I don't think Sarah or I could say no to the accusation of "Are you a fan of Mia Fluitt?" Um, we like her. 
she's a good driver, etc., etc., etc. I mean, to be fair, for my part, it's not that I necessarily have favourites. I don't have anyone that I don't like. Fair enough. Sarah loves everybody, and I'm, I'm a bit more discriminating. Yeah, it's a little bit fluffy, I know, but... <laughs> what I'm getting at here is, I say, we have a lot of love and respect for Mia, but when she finally got out of position and it was passing GT4 traffic, wasn't it? It was passing the Team Brick car, I think. Mm-hmm. Coming down the start-finish straight into Old Hall. She put herself in the wrong position and got stuck behind the McLaren through Old Hall. And this let a few cars through. Everything shook itself out through Cascades and went down to pretty much single file, which meant Mia then had the opportunity down Cascades to get around the Team Brick car. And she didn't take it, and she got stuck through the corner at the bottom of the hill. And then coming down Lakeside, she put herself behind that car for a third time and she hemorrhaged places. Now, I know that, I mean, first of all, she's doing something that I can't, so hat off to her anyway. Um, but I know that when your rhythm is broken in the way that hers was by being caught flat-footed by the, by the Team Brick car, up on start, finish straight, and then losing places. It's very hard to get back into the rhythm that you once had. But it was catastrophic for their race, the amount of places she shed in the space of a sector. Yeah. I mean, it was unfortunate because it did undo Ewan's work to a point um, because obviously he got her into a really good position. But it's something that can be learned from. And Mia is really good at learning from how yeah. she's raced previously. And that's evident in having watched it for the last yeah. couple of years. She'll watch that footage back and she won't make the same mistake again. Yeah. So, everything happening all at once. Uh, Alex Mulliken had a spin at Druids. Uh, almost at the same time that Morgan Tilbrook's McLaren suddenly ended up stationary, a bit dead. Uh, which was some sort of electrical problem. And we also had Adam Ballon uh, called in to serve a penalty. Mm. All those people were ahead of Kelvin Fletcher. And all of those people were suddenly behind Kelvin Fletcher. Um, All of a sudden, Kelvin Fletcher has a chance at a podium as a minimum. And we've got about seven laps remaining at this point. He doesn't know, though, does he? Unclear. Well, he told us, as, as you're about to hear, dear listener, uh, he told us that he had no idea his radio had been playing up or race, and he, it, I don't know that they, they could have been sending him a Chinese order for all he knew. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I don't know if those problems were all race or when they kind of kicked in, but I know he'd said at the end he didn't know. Congratulations. Uh, second round of the championship. Walk, walk yeah, walk and talk. Second round of the championship and uh, first win on the board. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. How does it feel? Feels good, yeah. It was, uh, you know, uh, not a win on track as such. Obviously, the time penalties helped us there, but I think I knew I had to get within like seven seconds or something, so just kept on pushing and uh, yeah, it was good. It was mega. 
Cheers, boys. My radio's a new. My radio's giving up. I would just. Yeah, I still still should have been in the carriage. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Yeah, no, car was mega. Obviously, conditions were a bit sketchy, and and I said to the boys, I don't know what everyone else is doing, but let's just take a gamble anyway and try and go slicks. It turned out everyone went slicks, and it dried up pretty quick, but. Yeah, still, the car's so different to the Bentley. And, and, and you know, it, it's just really a different way of driving, really. So it's been a fast learning curve this weekend. Um, but so hopefully we'll be better for it, you know, rounds two and, and, and so on. So I feel like I've got loads to improve as, as a driver. Well, loads of change as a driver, I guess. And uh, But, yeah, now mega. And racing the stopwatch is, is quite difficult. Were you just, were you, were you targeting a win on the road and just, Doing what you had to do to get that, or I was unaware again. Like I said, radios was, was playing up, so I was just pushing. I, I, I literally was just trying to keep some consistency. You know, I think I was in the 36s, so I felt like my pace was strong, and um, and the car felt pretty good. And, and even though the tyres started to go away, I just asked for a little bit more TC. And, and uh, but yeah, you know, track conditions were they kind of plateaued by by that point. It was just a case of catching the traffic and making sure when I did, when I did catch traffic to get through as cleanly as fast as possible. I knew I was catching the Audi. And, uh, and I was, I was genuinely, I didn't know it was the last lap, so I was thinking one more lap and I'm, I'm going to be on him and just send it, you know, go, go for it. But um, I didn't need to and got within that seven seconds and yeah, got, got the win, so mega. Fantastic. Congratulations to you and to Martin. Thank you have you. yourself a, a celebration tonight, yeah? Yeah, he. The parting of the, the parting of the Red Sea and he saw his goal, didn't he? Mm hmm. New car. Very different car to the car that he raced last year. More different, very, very hard to find. And racing against two people who have been, well, um, Sean Balfour was racing that car in Europe last year, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Was it GT Open they did? I'm not sure off the top of my head. But something European GT-ish. Um he was racing that car last year. And yes, it's the Evo 2 update, which is new for this year, but the Audi's the Audi. Um, obviously, Ian Loggy knows, uh, in true Montgomery Scott fashion, he knows his shit like the back of his hand um, because he's been racing that car in this championship now for four years, three, four years since the, he left Dean Parker racing and joined Ram. So... New boy, new car, chasing after experienced hands and was taking chunks out of them. He wasn't messing about, was he? No. I mean, he'd got just over a nine-second gap. He needed to be within seven seconds of Ian Loggy by the end of the race um, to win following the post-race adjustments that were going to be made. And he had it down to 7.1 seconds with two minutes still to go and GT4 traffic ahead of the two cars in front of him. Two minutes still to go means that there were two laps left on the... Uh, two laps left in the race. The GT4 traffic obviously would have helped him get a little bit closer to the two cars ahead. But then he had to get through the GT4 traffic as well. And they were having their own battle. So it's not easy passing GT4 traffic late race. Now, going back to that GT4 traffic, it did hold up the Balfe and the Ram top two. It held them up enough uh, that whilst they may have finished first and second on the road, they actually finished fifth and sixth on paper because 
Richard Neary and the team have a racing Mercedes and Kevin saying the Sky Tempesta racing um, caught up enough that after the adjustments had been applied they were ahead and for those that are writing down where people finished and trying to calculate points just a reminder the number 93 is a round by round entry and therefore invisible when it comes to points so the Mercedes finished ahead of the Audi in fifth and sixth on the road but the only car we've not mentioned at this point is the car that then effectively became third in terms of points and fourth on paper, which is the Team Rocket RJN car. Fully refreshed and repaired after its first race, uh, Graham Davison and James Kell bounced back. They had a great race. It was just missed and yeah, it was... quiet. <laughs> Another car that came out of nowhere, basically. Yeah, a, ra- a race that came to them um, with issues for, for other people. Um, GT4 then. At the start, and as you heard at the end of race one, I spoke to Richard Williams and he was saying that it's his turn to get the jump on the pole sitter because they can miss a gear and the stellar Audi can just go on the outside and take the win or take the lead. Guess what happened? <laughs> I'm not saying that Darren Turner missed a gear because Darren Turner doesn't make mistakes. He's he's Darren Turner. Hero worship time. Um, but Senna and Fielding did manage to get the better of Darren Turner. Now, I will point out that Darren Turner was racing in a world championship when Senna and Fielding were still karting. Um, so <laughs> there's a bit of a difference in experience here. Both pros, but a bit of a difference in experience. So yeah, we'd mentioned in the GT3 section that we've just discussed that there was contact between two GT4 cars in lap two. Um, and that was what caused the first safety car to be scrambled. Now that was contact between Freddie Tomlinson in the Assetto Motorsport Ginetta G56 and Mo Ritson in the Paddock Motorsport uh, McLaren 570S. They came together at Shell Oils. Uh, that ultimately put both cars out of the race at that point. Uh, just two laps completed. Yeah, and it basically wiped out all of the pro time in both classes, didn't it? An accident that looks low speed but it's actually fairly high speed because of the bank nature of the corner, which added to the complications recovering the vehicle, which is why the safety car was out for so long. Uh, managed to bury two cars quite conclusively into the barrier, didn't it? When the accident first happened, we could see the Tomlinson car, the Assetto car, in the barrier. We could see just the nose of something uh, underneath some displaced safer barrier, the, the foam barrier stuff that they, they put in front of the Armco where they used to use tyres. Um, didn't know what it was until somebody spotted that there was a bit of red and a bit of white on it. I've gone, right, okay, well, that's the Paddock McLaren then. Um, and then, obviously, we found out that Mo Ritson wasn't, wasn't circulating as well. So it was a two-car incident. Yeah, and as Nick had said, it essentially negated the pros session um because with the subsequent red flag and the race restart there had yeah. been some movement but 
we've not had chance for masses. As you yourself pointed out when we were talking about GT3, uh, in GT4 we do still have all silver lineups in some cars. So we had the same story as in GT3 in terms of the eventual winner not finishing first on the road. But it was further compounded by this 14 seconds of silver driver penalty time that, that, that that's put in. Um, and it kind of, again, it left us slightly guessing as to what was going to happen in the in the tail end of the race, didn't it? It did. Now, it was uh, the Stella Audi that was at the front after the restart. However, massive, massive task for Richard Williams because he essentially needed to pull out a 24-second gap in order to win on paper as well as on the road. Which, on paper, sounds like a second a minute because they restarted the race for 25 seconds on the clock, didn't they? 25 minutes on the clock. But two laps of that were behind the safety car. Mm-hmm. So the green flag went out and Richard Williams had about 19 minutes to pull out a 25-second gap. And that's a tall order for anybody. And again, you probably wouldn't have... You probably wouldn't have said that Matt Topham was the measure of Richard Williams, would you? One's an Anne, the other one's a Silver. The road order at this point was Richard Williams in the Audi for Stella. Then it was Will Burns. No, it wasn't. It was Jack Brown in the Century BMW, the 90. Yeah, which had, again, done a bit of a shifty up the order. It had. But that's a silver car, so that had f- uh, 14 seconds mm-hmm. to be added. So Richard had the 10 seconds for winning race one. Yep, on he had 24. Four. Yeah. Century Motorsport had 14. Had 14. And then in third... In third was Newbridge. This is Matt Topham in Scully. Yeah? Yep. And they're a pro-am pairing, so they had nothing because they also had no success seconds. Because success seconds are only issued to the overall, not class winners. Come the end of the race, I mean, we can give you blow by blow, but that's what YouTube um, full race replays is for. Uh, Come the end of the race, we've got, leading on the road is Stella Motorsport. Richard Williams needed to pull 10 seconds out on the Sentry car, to finish ahead of it because Richard Williams had success seconds. The sentry car didn't. Yeah. And he so very nearly managed it in the, on paper between sentry and Stella is 0.364 seconds. So that means that Richard Williams was 9.6 something. Very, very little ahead of the Century Motorsport number 90 of Jack Brown at the end of the race. Century Motorsport is scored as 15.142 seconds behind Newbridge. 
So what that means is to the second placed silver cup car in 19 minutes of racing, the amateur driver Matt Topham lost less than nine seconds. That's fairly, that, that's more than fairly impressive. That's pretty bloody amazing. Um, spoke to Matt after the race. Uh, here's what he had to say. Well, what a second race of the season. What a, what, what a fantastic result for you. Racing against a stopwatch, but still racing to a win. Yeah, I mean, I knew it was going to be tough in that stint. All the chaos and everything that kicked off, but... I just had to hold whoever I could behind. And the Audi's been fast all weekend. That was going to be tough. But and when he snuck by the GT3 BMW, I, well, cheeky little bugger, isn't he? But, uh, <laughs> yeah, tough race, to be honest. It was a lot of fun. A lot, a lot of fun. But I knew these silvers would be pushing. Alton's just a track where you can defend for your life. So I, I did my best, and it seemed to work. So we're all good. And were you aware of the fact that the silvers would have an additional 14 seconds penalty? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I had to defend for my life. The bigger train I have behind, the better at that stage. But I thought that the Audi might be out of touch. Kind of went on the basis. If I can see him, he's probably not three quarters of a lap away. And I knew he had like maybe 30 seconds to make up. So, it was, yeah, it did all right. Fantastic. Congratulations to you and, of course, to, to Darren, who, who had the easy job this time, didn't he? Until the weather changed. <laughs> but congratulations to you both Thank and we'll, you. we'll see you both at the next round yeah. where hopefully we're doing it again absolutely we're going for it cheers so that was how it all sort of wound up on monday afternoon in cheshire a couple of weeks back on the on the 18th and we thought that was it then the various judicials kicked off and we're now left in a little bit of a limbo, which on our next episode, we can go through in a bit more detail because hopefully we'll have more information. then. Um, but for now, the results of the second race are provisional. There, there has been no official result issued. And as Sarah said earlier, the Silverstone results will be provisional until this all goes through the National Court and gets resolved, at which point they can issue confirmed results of both races. All I can say is, yes, there was a red flag and it was quite lengthy, but we had two really, really good races in, in Cheshire. Well attended, looks looked to be well enjoyed. Um, and I do hope that that continues. Silverstone this weekend. Saturday is a normal, uh, a pretty normal timetable for, for British GT. We've got first practice at 9.30 till 10.30 and then second practice at just after 12 till just before 1. Qualifies a little later than normal. Uh, starts at 5 to 4 and runs for about an hour. Qualifying, of course, televised this year. So you can watch that on the on the British GT Facebook page and on the GT World YouTube channel. The practice sessions aren't televised, but Sarah will be tweeting them for you uh, so you can follow live action on the Twitter at BritSC Podcast. On Sunday, warm-up is the first session of the day. That's at 9 o'clock, and it's only 15 minutes. Um, so we'll probably be tweeting that one. All depends on how much uh, 
on how quickly we get to the circuit on Sunday morning. The race is quite early. It's been moved because this this is being done for broadcast TV, isn't it? Because we have an 11.30 race start. You can watch that on GT World YouTube channel. You can watch it on the British GT Facebook page. Or it's being televised live, is it, Sarah? Yep. On Sky Sports F1. And this is... All the more impressive, bear in mind it's a Grand Prix weekend. So they've taken three hours out of a Grand Prix day to show British GT. So hopefully that brings a bit more audience. For now, all that remains is to say thank you to you for listening, for bearing with us. And thank you to Sarah for putting up with my frequent digressions. Well, I haven't taken any pictures of our conversation tonight, but uh, I have changed my name on Zoom. Yeah. Um, I, the the host of the, 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 the Zoom call is Nicholas Smith. And the other member of the Zoom call is Slave Driver. <laughs> she has kind of put me to work a little bit. Um, but now... The beauty of my role in this is my work in the preparation is now done. I've got the the show artwork done, uh, ready to go. And I've done the talking into the microphone and making noises. The cat's chipped in as well. Um, and now Sarah's got to work to, to finish it off. So I'm going to shut up and let her do it. I- Thanks for listening to the British Sports Car Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on socials at BritSC Podcast. This podcast is a Storm Vixen created production in conjunction with RPS Driven Media.